Hey, good morning, and welcome to our online Sunday morning service. Uh, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We are also celebrating Palm Sunday. Uh, we are gathering, in, as always, in our small groups. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, and you can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. Uh, we also pray together. And so if you have something that you need prayer for, uh, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we'll get that on our prayer list, and it will be prayed for. Finally, this week, we have our Good Friday service. That's Friday night at 7 p.m. at the church building. And then next Sunday is our Easter celebration service. We'll be online, but in person we will have an egg hunt for the kids and we will have some food afterwards to hang out together as we gather together and celebrate our Lord's victory over sin and death. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. Palm Sunday is remembered because people waved palm branches as Jesus entered Jerusalem. It's also sometimes referred to as the triumphal or triumphant entry. Matthew uh, chapter 21 says that they were approaching Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And that is basically like if you are up on our hill and you look across and you can see, you know, Mount Scott and you can see um, Mount Talbert. And, and that's the idea is imagine that you came to this town that was on top of Mount Scott or Mount Talbert and you look across and you see our hill and you say, all right, we're going to go there. That's where Jerusalem is. Um, but while they're there, they have to do a few things before they go down and then go back up and enter into Jerusalem. So it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, say to the daughter Zion, which is another name, Zion's another name for Jerusalem. Say to daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And that is from the writings of the prophet Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So what's going on is Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He is just on the other side of the valley looking towards Jerusalem, and he sends two of his disciples ahead to get this colt, this unridden donkey, so that he might ride in. Now, when I think of triumphant heroes entering a city, you know, kings coming to conquer, I don't think of somebody riding a donkey. I think of somebody riding a horse, a big horse, a stallion, a war horse. Yet he comes in gentle, humble. It says that the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And that's where we get the palms from. They weren't just waving them in the air, although they were doing that, but they also cut them down. And they're making sort of a red carpet. Uh, now, I don't think every square inch of road between Bethpage and Jerusalem was covered with cloaks and with palm branches, but, but it's happening enough to signify this welcoming in we would think of it as a red carpet, but that's the idea that they were trying to get across. Uh, 
Verse 9 says that crowds went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And that word Hosanna means save now. So they're shouting out, save us now, Son of David. Save us now is the shout of the heavens. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. The big idea today is declaring the king. Declaring the king. Somebody once told me that there are always multiple witnesses when it comes to testimony from God to people. Uh, That there is the witness of God himself. Maybe that's through the Bible. Maybe that's through a prophet. Maybe that's through some, some means like that. But there's always a witness from God himself. And then there is the witness of people. You see this, if, if you remember, uh, if you were doing our 20-minute Bible study podcast when we were in the book of Exodus, and God made a covenant with the people of Israel, and he says, you will be the witnesses to future generations. You're going to tell your kids and your grandkids, and your grandkids will say, my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather was there at the day, and they will tell their kids and grandkids, and they will be the witnesses of what God has done. So God met with his people. He brought testimony. The people who were there are witnesses to future generations. And then this third witness is the work of God's Spirit. Uh, maybe it's through a miraculous sign. Maybe it's, it's through uh, some other work. But, but there are always multiple witnesses. And Jesus is coming and declaring himself King of Israel, declaring himself the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And we see multiple witnesses testifying to Jesus' kingship. And the first is Jesus himself. You know, there are hundreds of prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. And some of them you can't choose to fulfill. The Messiah had to be born of the line of David. You can't choose who your parents are. The Messiah was to be born of a virgin. That's not something you can control. The Messiah needed to come from Bethlehem, but also come up out of Egypt. And all of those things happened before Jesus was even four or five years old. Nothing that he had agency over, nothing he could control. But here, he takes this proactive step and says, I am going to declare myself Messiah. Because the prophets had said the Messiah will enter Jerusalem and one of the marks of the Messiah, the coming king, is that he comes in riding on a donkey. So Jesus says, I'm not going to walk in. He's come to Jerusalem before. He's walked in before. He says, this time I am coming and I am riding in humility and gentleness on a donkey. It's interesting that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, which we studied recently, Jesus healed a man of leprosy. And then he said, don't tell anyone what I've done. And we've talked about this. The reason why he said that was because that he was trying to keep his ability to go into a city and minister. And and we've seen from 
other gospels that when Jesus, especially the gospel of Mark emphasizes this, when Jesus, uh, when his fame got too great, he was unable to go into a house and meet with people. He was unable to go into a town and minister there. He had to go out to these empty places because there were so many people gathering around. He also knew that it wasn't time. There are, are times in other parts of the Gospels where they try to declare Jesus king by force, ahead of the time when God has declared and ordained that Jesus would enter Jerusalem and declare himself king. This is the moment, though. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, he says, don't tell anybody what I've done. And here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, as they shout, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, it's right. In fact, one of the other gospels says that some of Jesus' opponents called him out on it. They said, what are you doing? This isn't right. You shouldn't allow them to praise you like this. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If they weren't doing it, the very rocks and stones would do it because it's so right what's happening right now. One of the goals Matthew seems to have for his gospel account is to show that Jesus was the prophetically confirmed Messiah. The Bible is full of prophecy. And the point of prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's not divination. It's not prognostication. It's confirmation. The point of the prophecies in the Scripture is to confirm. God says, I'm, see, I'm telling you ahead of time what I'm going to do. And so when Jesus came in his first coming, he was confirmed by prophecy. Just as there are prophecies concerning his second coming that confirm to us that God has not abandoned us, that God still has a plan, that God is still working, that Jesus will come back. We'll talk more about those when we get into Matthew chapter 24 in a few months. But one of Matthew's goals was to confirm that Jesus prophetically was shown to be the Messiah. And that's why he makes such a big deal about when they ride in, it's confirming the prophecies of Zechariah. And when the people shout Hosanna to the son of David, they are confirming the prophecies that the Messiah would come from the royal line of King David. Jesus declared himself in that moment King, Savior, Messiah. So he's coming and he's bringing his own testimony. But you know what? There have been a lot of people in the history of Israel, especially during Israel's Roman occupation, that had tried to claim the mantle of Messiah, that had tried to say, I will be the one who will deliver the people. So you can come and you can have all kinds of testimony, but it's just your word. It's just what you say. So what? The second testimony is the testimony of the people. Jesus declared himself king, but the people declare him king. In verse 10, it says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the city was stirred and asked, who is this? So if you're declaring yourself, you got to say, well, who is he declaring it to? He's declaring it to Jerusalem. And the city says, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You know, Maybe it's because uh, I've, I've taught Palm Sunday out of different Gospels. It never really struck me before. But the people who waved palm branches and who threw their coats down in front of Jesus so that, you know, his donkey wouldn't have to walk on dirt, the people who shouted, Hosanna, they weren't from Jerusalem. 
They were the people who traveled south from Nazareth and from Galilee as Jesus headed on his final journey south to Jerusalem. They were the people that had seen his ministry in the Galilee and they traveled with him. They were the people in the towns of Bethany and Bethpage, which were on the outskirts of Jerusalem, who had seen his work there, who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. And they were coming to Jerusalem to declare what they had seen. Jerusalem, our political capital, our spiritual capital, the cultural center of of the Jewish people. We have found the Messiah and we declare to you, here he is, it's Jesus. You know, there's some debate in some Christian circles right now about the usefulness of personal testimony. And that just means telling your story. What is the usefulness of personal testimony? And I'll just say this. I think that our stories are, are useful because they can encourage, uh, they, can, they can be useful to get a conversation going. Uh, our stories are our stories. But that being said, I don't think that just because somebody has some kind of crazy story about how like God delivered them from you know gangs or drugs or whatever, and then we, we record it and we put it on a YouTube video and then everybody we show it to everybody and they go, oh, that's so cool. And yet I haven't seen a huge response to that. At the same time, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine's dad died. And I, I was grieved for him. I, I remembered his dad with great, great fondness. But I rejoiced because his dad became a Christian around the same time that my dad died. And his dad said that part of his decision to become a Christian had to do with seeing how my dad lived out his faith in his final days. Our witness, our story, our actions are powerful. So Jesus is declaring himself to be king, but the testimony of those who have seen Jesus' power, his miracles, heard his teaching, spent time with him, they are declaring him to be king His closest followers, those who were right with him, said, yeah, we believe that he is the Messiah. And then finally, Jesus' ministry declared him to be king. As he enters Jerusalem, the rest of chapter 21, he goes in and he cleanses the temple from the injustice and and sin of the money changers and the the corruption of, of the worship of God. He shows his power as he curses a fig tree, which is kind of a random story, but he just shows his power in that moment. And then from chapter 21 through 25, Jesus teaches and preaches in the temple and gives a final witness to the city of Jerusalem. The the people in Jerusalem would have seen Jesus' declaration. They would have seen the declaration of the crowd who brought him in to Jerusalem, and they would have seen Jesus' ministry up close, personal, heard his teaching, heard his preaching. You know, there's three witnesses here. There's the the witness of Jesus himself. There's the witness of the crowds, the people who who were with him. And there's the witness of the ministry. I, I believe that as Christians, we only have to worry about doing our part. I don't need to speak on God's behalf. God does his work. 
nor do I have to sort of work up the miraculous. If God will work miraculously, it will be on his time and in his way and in his power. It won't be under ours. We just have to do our part. I tell people, I tell people what's happened in my life. I tell people what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I believe. I don't have a a feeling of pressure to twist anyone's arm. I just tell people, this is what I know. I know that Jesus is real. And this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. And this is what I believe. And I trust God to do his work. It's interesting, in verse 11, the crowd answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And that's true, except it's not. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus was the Messiah. He was God in human flesh, the Savior of the world. I trust that God is going to deal with any misrepresentation of the gospel towards other people. Let me give you a story. Uh, Once, uh, this was back in like 2001, 2002, and I was taking a train from London, England, back to where I lived in Manchester. I'd been down in London uh, for a week of evangelistic ministry, and uh, I was heading back home, and uh, at the risk of, you know, sounding old, right? You remember those old books we all, the little cases we had, and they were full of CDs. This is back before MP3s and iPods and everything. And so, you know, we had like the big book, you would zip open and they would have like all of your CDs. And we had our little travel little uh, book that we had, and that was for, you know, trips and stuff. So I had my little travel book of CDs open. And uh, anyway, so I I get on the train and this uh, gal about my age is sitting across from me on the train. And um, she asked what I was, uh, or she saw me flipping through my CD book and she recognized one of the CDs. And she said, uh, it was a band called Death Cab for Cutie that's still around. And uh, she said, oh, do you know who they are? Because back then, like, nobody knew who they were. And I said, yeah. I'm f- and, and then she goes, oh, wait, are you American? I was like, yeah, I'm from America. I'm like, what are you doing here? And so we had this conversation because I knew about this band that she had literally just heard about a week before. And, and then she found out that I'm from Seattle. That's where Death Cab for Cutie is from. That's how come I know who they are because they're from Seattle. And so we started this conversation. And then naturally she says, what are you doing in England? And I... I said, well, I'm, I, I'm a youth pastor at a church in Manchester. And we started talking, and I found out that as she had walked into the train station, she had come across one of those, like, uh, Turner Burn preachers that they always have, like, a megaphone and a big sign, and, all, and the Bible verses on the big sign are always in, like, old King James English, right? And, and she had gotten a really terrible representation of the Christian faith. And I... I began to explain to her, I said, I, I said I, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry that you had that bad experience. Um, I'm going to hope in my heart that the person that you interacted with was just misguided but well-intentioned. And then I began to explain the gospel to her. And I trust that God will work on that, that, that it wasn't just an isolated case, that there have been people that have had the gospel misrepresented and then God puts you or me in their path and we have the ability to explain things. It reminds me of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. He was on his way back from Jerusalem and he's reading the prophet Isaiah and he didn't understand any of it. And then God puts this guy named Philip in his path and, and Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no. And he's like, can I, can I explain it to you? 
God's going to do his work. He's going to declare Jesus as king. He's going to declare Jesus as Messiah. He will declare Jesus as God the Son who has paid the price for sin and death through his work on the cross. And we're part of that work. And I trust that God will deal with any misrepresentations of the gospel. And I pray that God will clarify the gospel within me so that I won't have a misrepresentation for someone else. But I will be part of declaring Jesus, the true king, in as clear a way as possible. Every Christian can only do the work God's called them to do, and we can only share what we have known. But as the gospel is shared, all people have an obligation to respond. The people in Jerusalem had to make a choice. And in the end, they crucified Jesus. In the end, they chose Barabbas, a thief and a murderer, said, release him. They were given the choice. Do you want me to release Barabbas or release Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. Everyone has to make a choice. Everyone has to respond. The good news of the Christian faith is that forgiveness, mercy, salvation is open to all people. But you have to respond in faith to what Jesus has done on the cross and what Jesus will do in your life. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All of us receive the witness. All of us are invited by the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Come, consider Jesus. All of us have to respond. And if that's you, if you want to respond and say yes to Jesus, then wherever you're at, cry out to God. And we would love to explain things more fully and answer any questions. And even if you've been far, if you responded in the past, but you've been far away, and there's a lot of folks that are wandering right now, it's never too late. It's never too late to come back. You know, just a few days after this, Jesus' closest friends abandoned him on Good Friday. One of his closest followers denied that he even knew him, cursed someone out, who suggested that he was a friend of Jesus. And after Jesus' resurrection, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he restored Peter to relationship. And if you've been wandering, Jesus is inviting you back to restored relationship with him and his church. God bless you. May the peace of Christ be with you on Palm Sunday as we enter Holy Week. May we Moments of pausing and reflecting and remembering all that Jesus has done for us and all that Jesus is doing and all that Jesus will do as we continue to serve him.